0: Okay, Jesse. last week was truly weird and disturbing, and I'm never eating at my neighbor's house again. What's the story this time around? (laughs) Andy, I promise
1: when you come visit, I will only feed you beyond me. This week, a torrid affair leads to family drama that leaves one man brutally beaten and murdered. When the police dig into the messy clan responsible, eight people are sent to prison for their misdeeds. I'm Andy Cassette, and I'm Jesse Prey, and this is Love Murder.
0: Hi Andy. Hi, Jesse.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Love Murder, a podcast about love gone fatally wrong, whether it's scorned lovers, terrible triangles, or crimes that involve the whole family.
0: You can find Love Murder on Twitter and Instagram at Love Murder Pod and on Facebook by searching Love Murder Podcast.
1: And as always, if you enjoy the show, please love slash murder a five-star rating on your podcast app and help new people discover the show. Leave us a review. Send us a little DM and we'll get you some free stickers. Yes, I've been loving your reviews, guys. Thank you so, 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 so much. Okay, Andy, this one is a little bit different. So as you know, I love to overdo the research. I usually read at least one, if not two, whole true crime books per case, as well as doing, you know, other research. But this one doesn't actually have a book. I found out about this case while I was doing research for A Tangled Web, the Carrie Farver story. Mm-hmm. And I just read a blurb on it because there's a defense attorney who's in both stories, and I was like this is the most insane story I've ever heard about. And I I dug in as much as I could. I would I would say guys, there's probably not as much backstory or detail as I would generally like, but at the same time the case is so wild. It's a story where love goes wrong in the most love-murdery way, and then it becomes like a family affair, and, you know, there's obviously a lot of love there, usually, at least at the beginning, (laughs) (laughs) that I thought it was worth doing anyway. So buckle up for a crazy, tight little ride and the story of The Elkhorn Eight.
0: I'm very interested in this because instead of like a body count, it's like a jail count. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is
1: our, the most perpetrators of a crime we've ever had. <laughs> Usually it's like one person killing like upwards of eight or something. And now it's eight people killing one person. <laughs> this is like um, uh, the Agatha Christie of uh, uh, I'm so guys I have a pregnancy brain real bad right now and I almost said Agatha Christie murder on the polar express instead of orient express <laughs> that would be a, a really twist. damaging kid story You yes. yeah <laughs> uh, I think it's because we're like packing up all of our Christmas stuff finally so um yes like murder on the orient express which if you guys haven't read it or watched one of the movies I highly recommend. I'm not going to give it away, even though the context of how I introduced it might give it away. Anyway, let's get on to this story. You can save your Agatha Christie's for later. On a beautiful but chilly spring morning in April 2009, a Nebraska farmer makes a startling discovery in one of his fields. An abandoned car has appeared out of nowhere, and there appears to be blood on the trunk. The police are called, and a broken and bloodied corpse is found folded unnaturally like an accordion in the trunk. Ew. Uh-huh. That's also so gruesome and bizarre for a farmer to find in his field.
0: Yeah, in Nebraska.
1: In Nebraska, where the good Midwestern people are? Lacking any other options, a tow truck is summoned to tow the man and his vehicular resting place to the crime lab, where techs can process the scene and determine what happened to this victim. In the car, a wallet is found, and the brutally murdered man is revealed to be Brian Carson, a 45-year-old family man. The coroner determines the death to be caused by blunt force trauma with excessive bludgeoning. Altogether, the man was hit over 150 times.
0: What? How could they even figure that out?
1: I mean, he must have just looked like tenderized meat after that. And it looks like multiple objects were used in the beating. Ugh. Ugh. Detectives surmise that, that this must have been quite the crime of passion to deliver such a gratuitous rain of blows, and they would be correct. Over the next few days, they would untangle a deadly web of family, sex, betrayal, and hatred so profound it could not be controlled. When all is said and done, eight people would be jailed for one murder. This is the story of Brian Carson and the Elkhorn Eight. The real question is, how did a man piss off that many people? Let's talk about the Carson family. In the early 2000s, the Carson family was a normal nuclear Nebraska family. Father Brian had a grown daughter named Candace from a previous marriage he had when he was super young, and then he had married current wife Teresa, who was mother to their children, 19-year-old Ryan and 16-year-old Sarah. Brian and Ryan had always been extremely close, and they bonded over similar interests. Both were avid motorheads and built a classic car together. They often tinkered on Brian's beloved Harley, Brian only too happy to show his only son the ropes. However, as 2008 came to a close, cracks were beginning to show in the once happy family. Older sister Candace reported that Sarah, who had usually done very well in school, was getting caught skipping frequently and her grades were slipping egregiously. Ryan had had a similar issue with school and he had dropped out, but now he was doing really, really well as a super hard worker who held three jobs and he particularly excelled in construction and remodeling homes. So for him, it was more like school just wasn't for him, but he was still a really hard worker who found like a vocation elsewhere. Yeah, for Sarah, I think her parents were just a little upset with her because she was actually really good in school. She just stopped going, you know?
0: Yeah, she didn't care.
1: Exactly. Um. So Ryan enjoyed the construction and remodeling type work, and it definitely added to his already muscular physique. However, as Ryan became older and larger, as well as more financially independent, he began to butt heads with his father, who definitely was somewhat of like an alpha male mentality type, you know? Brian, the father, and this gets complicated because it's Brian and Ryan. (laughs) Brian, the father, wasn't crazy about the time Ryan spent with his high school sweetheart girlfriend, Nicole Walker, and routinely tried to stress that Ryan should have more loyalty to his family rather than his girlfriend.
0: Good luck with that one. (laughs) I knew um, someone growing up who named their kids Brian and Ryan. Oh, (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: Um, for next week, we have um someone who has kids named Bobby and Robbie,
0: yeah, it's just so complicated,
1: so complicated, there's so
0: many names like
1: there's a lot of names in the world. you don't have to name you can make exactly. them up. yeah I guess it's it's like if you like like I found myself like kept being um attracted to a names which is why we're gonna go with an a name for this baby too and I was like oh my god I'm just trying to find things that sound like Alden's name and it's like I I guess I liked it once now I like it more the second time it's but it's they're different thank god they're different
0: (laughs) Alder and Alden (laughs)
1: Yes, can you imagine what if I named them Alden and Aiden like come on (laughs) I'm not naming him that I think we've already like slipped what I'm gonna name my son but we'll we'll like do an announcement once the babies are here uh, together for the official names Brian believed the growing rift between him and his son was due to his outspoken girlfriend but later both Sarah and Ryan would report that their growing apathy for their father was not caused by any outside influences, but rather their father's treatment of their mother. Over the years, Teresa and Brian's relationship had devolved into a nightmare of abuse, resentment, and cheating accusations. Both kids claim that the fault lay squarely on Brian's shoulders. He allegedly was not only verbally, but also physically abusive towards Teresa. And he had a noticeable wandering eye where the ladies were concerned so
0: it's so funny with these stories right now because like there's like no there's like no wandering eyes in the world right now yeah. <laughs> no, where are you gonna wander oh, you can't, like- see, can't even see anyone's face to like no, wander to. <laughs> it's so funny I think the past couple of episodes we've talked about wandering eyes or going out to like bars and stuff and I'm like yeah that shit ain't happening no, I guess that people could be having online affairs, for sure, for sure. But um, that's like more emotional based, anyway. Absolutely, like, so funny. It's just such a different. Oh world right man,
1: now. I imagine at the beginning of lockdown, so many people had to stop seeing their lovers. <laughs> like, oh how do you God. explain yeah. that? That's your mistress isn't in your bubble.
0: <laughs> no, it's that's like so scary if you think about it.
1: Mhm, well, now, like if your your partner cheats on you, you could not only get an s t d you could get covid
0: yeah and die, and I mean you could die. die from an s t d too but it's much harder to die from an s t d than from covid though, yeah, but if it goes like untreated because the infidelity. That's true. It's like scary yeah. And happen.
1: people don't seem to like wearing masks and they also don't seem to like wearing, wearing condoms.
0: <laughs> I Someone texted me yesterday and said, I really wish that we would have just told people that their dicks were going to fall off if they didn't wear a mask <laughs> or if they got COVID. And I was like, I know that
1: probably would have helped. Uh-huh. Erectile dysfunction forever. <laughs> <laughs> can we get someone symptoms. to
0: that please <laughs> yeah
1: absolutely it might still work <laughs> family dynamics only worsened when Teresa took teen sarah out for a girls night at a local pool hall and the two discovered father brian there on a date with another woman
0: ew uh gross ew
1: Oh, like that to get caught by your wife is one thing to get caught by your 16 year old daughter and your
0: wife. It's not okay.
1: Not okay. Teresa confronted Brian about his infidelity and both Carson women ended up involved in a very public conflict until the entire family got kicked out of the bar. Oh, no. Yeah. Brian ended up leaving with the date instead of his family to the shock and outrage of the women. Such a coward. Such a coward. That's such the easy way out. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of like every episode of Cheaters. 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 (laughs) Cheaters. Welcome to Cheaters. Yes. The next day they informed Ryan to his father's misdeeds and he went appropriately apeshit. So, I mean, he went appropriately apeshit. Then he went maybe inappropriately apeshit. Everyone knew that Brian's Harley motorcycle was his total baby and prized possession. His daughter, Candace, said, oh, this is um, where I got a lot of my information from was uh, the show Blood Relatives on Investigation Discovery. The episode is called Rotten to the Core. And the My Life of Crime blog, which linked to all of the various local Nebraska newspaper articles, which was super helpful. Um, So those are my sources. And on the episode, Candace is talking about his motorcycle. And she said that Brian was fond of telling all of his children that he loved the motorcycle more than them.
0: Wow.
1: What a piece of shit. He's such a piece of shit.
0: (laughs) I was like, can
1: you imagine your dad saying that to you?
0: This is more important to me than you. A living Mm -hmm. thing.
1: Yeah. So Ryan wanted to get revenge on Brian. And he knew that motorcycle Brian loved more than anything else in the world, including his own family. And Ryan took a wrench to it and started destroying the Harley. Good for him. yeah, when Brian discovers what Ryan's... Basically, he catches him in the process of destroying the Harley. All hell breaks loose. And this powder keg that has been, you know, just about to go off finally explodes. There's no, like, r- real physical fight at this point. Both men survived the confrontation. But this definitely created some extremely bad blood that was kind of impossible to reconcile between the two men at this point you know
0: yeah and he's 16 you said
1: he's 19 so he is like a man at this point he's ready to get out and and Mm -hmm. that's i think that this event really pushed him to get out ultimately ryan decides at this point that the best move for him and nicole who has recently graduated high school is to move to mississippi where he has some relatives who can help the young couple make a fresh start which all things consider, sounds like a really good plan. He obviously needs to get out of his father's home at this point. Yeah. Um. So things do look bright for a few weeks. Ryan joins the plumbers union and he gets a well-paying gig and he and Nicole start planning their wedding. Nicole started getting a chest piece tattoo that it was like, I think it was like flowers and something else. I, I don't think it's like really a chest piece. I think it was more like a breast piece. (laughs) Like a tattoo. You know more about tattoos. I have zero tattoos. Andy has like 20, but it was like a boob tattoo basically. Okay. And so she starts getting it. And the whole point is that it's going to be done in multiple pieces. And the last part is going to be Ryan's name, like for their wedding.
0: Oh, never a good idea. Never a good idea.
1: But before like she can finish the tattoo. The apple doesn't seem to fall far from the tree. And as they've been living in Mississippi for a couple months, Ryan begins to verbally abuse and belittle Nicole. Okay. So they've previously been mostly okay, but it seems like down in Mississippi, he's just starting to get really rude with her. And to add to an already high-stress home situation, Ryan comes home one day and tells Nicole that he had just been shot at while driving his car. He also feels like someone has been following him and he thinks that it might have something to do with his father, like his father's getting somebody to stalk or harass him. Yeah. As far as I can tell, there's no confirmation on whether his father did that or... Whether or not he was embellishing a situation because, you know, Nicole was starting to pull away from him. I'm not sure. So we don't know exactly what was going on, but this was like all going on during these like first few months that they were living in Nebraska. Okay. At this point, Nicole is like, I don't think this is working for me. She wasn't having as good a time in Mississippi as he was. Um, and obviously oh, all this crazy she stuff. Didn't
0: get the tattoo part. She did not
1: Ryan. get the Ryan part tattooed yet. So She was in the clear with that. (laughs) Um, And she decides to move back to Nebraska by herself. So the two did agree to a trial separation and they kept talking while they were physically apart, but they weren't like really technically together at this point. So fast forward to April 2009, Nicole is back in Nebraska, Teresa and Brian are living separately but still legally married, and Ryan is making it work in Mississippi. The family is scattered and not as close as it once was, but this seems like it's for the best, given everything that's been going on with them. Yeah. Until the gruesome discovery of Brian's battered body in the trunk of the car that he and his son had once so lovingly restored. After towing the car and performing the autopsy, it's very clear to Detective Chris Gordon that Brian Carson must have rubbed someone or some people the wrong way. According to the coroner, somebody had beat this man to a bloody pulp and left him abandoned in his car less than 24 hours after the murder. So he was still pretty freshly dead when they found him in the farmer's field. Okay. Before the authorities can even alert Teresa about her estranged husband's untimely demise, she calls them on what appears to be an unrelated incident. Teresa has arrived home that morning from visiting her stepfather in Bellevue for the evening. She returned to find her door ajar and her home completely ransacked. She called 911 upon returning to the home. So quickly, detectives suspect that the burglary of the Carson family home is actually staged. Just the way things were like flung about and the fact that nothing really of value was really stolen seems like it was completely staged for their benefit. More interesting than the supposed break in on the main floor, though, is what the cops find in the basement. There's evidence of some sort of bloody altercation, dried blood, a hasty cleanup attempt, a steam cleaner still sits out, and most tellingly, what looks like a five by eight foot chunk of carpet cut from the floor.
0: <laughs> All right,
1: guys. <laughs> it's a bad cleanup job. This is a bad plan. The detectives ask Teresa to come down to the station so that she can make a statement regarding the burglary, but once they get her inside an interrogation room, they deliver the bad news that her estranged husband has been murdered. They find it extremely odd when she registers no emotion whatsoever. And in her defense, I can understand that the guy was a cheat who allegedly beat her, but you'd still be at least surprised. You'd be like... He what? He was, you know, you even somebody you don't like that you find out was murdered, you're like shocked that they were murdered. Of course, of course. Yeah, so she just kind of is like seems completely nonplussed, not surprised, like didn't even try to fake it. Teresa has an airtight alibi, however. She was 100 miles away. And not only can like other people verify that, traffic cameras can prove it because they can like track her journey you know know. yeah yeah yep so she claims that son ryan is still in mississippi so he couldn't have done it either uh the police decide to bring in 16 year old sarah for questioning while they are locating sarah to interview her they also speak to several close friends and family members of the carsons who suggest that ryan may not be in mississippi any longer In fact, they have it on good authority that he has returned and is holed up at his ex-girlfriend, Nicole Walker's house. Hmm. The relatives also tell the cops about the bad blood between the father and son. Their interest is piqued to say the least, and they head over to Nicole Walker's house in Elkhorn. So Nicole had moved in with a roommate upon her return to Nebraska, and after several attempts to get Nicole to come to the door, where the cops describe, like, they can hear them on the other side of the door, like, talking and, like, panicking. Yeah. And they're like, guys, like, come to the door. We're going to break it down. They finally come out, like, Nicole first, then her roommate, and then, lo and behold, Ryan Carson himself. So all three are brought in for questioning. Ryan claims that he had absolutely no knowledge of his father's fatal beating and had only returned to town the night before. He said that he had been the target of stalking and harassment in Mississippi and that he had come to Elkhorn to switch out his car for one that he had left in his mother's garage. The idea being that whoever was stalking him wouldn't recognize the new car and he could like fly under the radar. Okay. Yeah. A likely story. Upon further interrogation as they poke holes in his story, Ryan clams up and demands an attorney. Meanwhile, while questioning Nicole, authorities sneak a peek at an interesting tattoo she has creeping towards her collarbone. It's the tattoo she had started for Ryan, but it's not brandished with his name. The name currently tattooed upon her body is none other Ryan. than
0: Brian. I knew it. I knew it. Oh, that dirty dog. I knew it. I knew when you said that she was going back to Nebraska. Yeah. So I, it is
1: unclear about how that relationship started. If it was going on before, you know, like even when she was like underage, potentially, she had been dating Ryan the son forever. So I have no idea how long she was like going out with Brian.
0: It's so gross.
1: But upon her return to Elkhorn, she had even moved in with him for a little while.
0: It is so gross.
1: It's so gross. And a lot of people were really like upset with Nicole about this situation. But it's obviously, and like I do not mean to victim blame, but it's on a 45-year-old man not to date his teen son's girlfriend.
0: Yeah, it's. Not good.
1: Not not good all around. Everyone in this circumstance should have known better. But I also, I don't know what kind of relationship and when it had started. Like he might've been grooming her for a while too because they started dating in their early teens, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh God. So
1: it's unclear exactly when this bizarre couple kindled up their romance, but it seemed to have been highly sexual and passionate enough to inspire a permanent mark on Nicole's body and psyche which you can only imagine how Ryan felt about his dad's
0: name being tattooed on his girlfriend where his was supposed to be also where his was supposed to be if this was like her plan she should have just done Ryan and then she could have just added the B (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah it's much easier to tack on than to tack off or is she going to turn a mm-hmm. bee into a flower? And yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> in the next interrogation room over, investigators have found Sarah to be the weak link among the teens. Like, obviously, she's the youngest one involved in this whole spectacle. Yeah. And they push hard on her as, like, they know that they're going to get the most answers from her. Through tears, Sarah reveals the truth of what happened that deadly night and what led up to it. Sarah says that it was she who had discovered the affair between her father and her brother's estranged girlfriend, infuriated and shocked she told her mother, Teresa, who in turn informed Ryan, who at the time was still in Mississippi. So Ryan had apparently been discussing reconciliation with Nicole and even contemplating a move back to Elkhorn so that the two could be reunited permanently when he discovered the infidelity. Ugh. Yeah, so he was beyond pissed off, and he already had a bad relationship with his father. So you can only imagine how much angrier he was at this point. Which I also wonder if there wasn't something nefarious going on, like when she was super young. Maybe this was like the dad's revenge on uh-huh. the son for screwing with his motorcycle. You know. Uh-huh.
0: Yep. It's like she could have just it. come back and he could have just swooped her then, too. Exactly.
1: It's entirely possible yeah. that she just moved back for totally innocent reasons and he swooped in on her then for revenge, you know? Yeah. yeah. So this is wild speculation on my part. <laughs> <laughs> so basically at this point, Sarah admits that it was then that Ryan decided to kill Brian and he enlisted his entire Family to assist in the homicide. Whoa. Whoa, for real. So Ryan convinced his teenage cousins, Colton Novascone and Ryan King, another Ryan, who were so both creative. On- so great of this family, were both only 17 years old to drive from Mississippi to Nebraska to kill his father. Ugh, raw. It- it's so raw. Those are babies. So it's two 17-year-olds and 19-year-old Ryan. Yeah. He further roped his mother and sister into the crime by having Teresa provide a place for the homicide, her home, and having 16-year-old Sarah lure her father to the house. Whoa. Ugh. Yeah. Teresa did not want to have an active part in the murder, Plus, she wanted to have a good alibi as she wasn't on good terms with her estranged husband. And everybody knows they look at the spouse first. So she told the kids, like, do whatever you want to do. I just don't know. I don't want to know what happens here. And I want to come home to a clean house.
0: You're still an accomplice. You're, You're still an accomplice, lady.
1: Also, you have to consider your children's well-being. Even though they're frustrated and upset and you're frustrated, and upset, they're 16 and 19. This is going to be something that even if they didn't get caught, it would scar their souls forever. Yeah. You know, like at some point, even though you're hurt because you were cheated on, you have to be the bigger person and be like, is this the best move for my children? And guess what? Killing their father isn't ever. No. Oh, God. So she just like took off and she went to her stepfather's house and that's how she established that alibi. Ryan forced Sarah into the plot by making her call their father and invite him over to the house. Court documents would later show that Ryan's initial plan was to kill his father as well as three other people who resided in a trailer with his father and make it look like a drug deal gone wrong. Okay. Okay. Fortunately for those individuals, but unfortunately for Brian, Ryan and his accomplices decided using Sarah as bait and having three of them versus one was better odds than, you know, three versus four of the people who also lived in the trailer with Brian, obviously. Um, So that would be more strategically advantageous. Also, like, you'd be killing innocent people. Like, everybody in this. As much as Brian's a dick, he's still an innocent person, you know? (laughs)
0: he did beat his wife and
1: yeah this is not like we usually have like really innocent victims this is this is a hard one to sell
0: like as a all-around great family
1: man over here (laughs) the shock
0: effect is like the fact that the whole family fucking killed him
1: yes and that's like like, when i was telling nathaniel about the story he was like it takes a really bad dude for everyone in the entire family to want to take him down yeah like even we have so many cases where somebody is genuinely terrible and there's still people at the trial defending them you know there's still followers there's supporters didn't seem like anybody missed this guy yeah yeah talk um for brian. for brian brian it sounds like you made some mistakes along the way there buddy <laughs> i mean he had his older daughter candace from a previous relationship had some nice things to say about him on the show. So I guess that's not nobody, you know? Yeah. Sarah was upset about her father's infidelity and mistreatment of their mother, but didn't necessarily want her father dead. After she placed the phone call, she began to cry and panic. And when Brian finally arrived at the family home, she could not bring herself to open the door. I, I think Sarah got in way over her head. I think that she had witnessed the abuse and the cheating and she was frustrated and she was venting. And she was like, you know, when Ryan was like, I'm going to kill him. She's like, yeah, yeah. You know, but she's 16. And when it actually like came to pass, I think she realized it was real and she wasn't actually prepared to be a part of it, but it was too late.
0: Yeah. No, that's a ridiculous thing to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. So even though she refused to answer the door, obviously, this was still Brian's house, even if he wasn't living there. So he just like walked in after no one answered the door. And immediately, Ryan, Colton, and cousin Ryan all jumped him. So Sarah reported that years of hatred, resentment, and abuse were all triggered by Brian seducing his long-term girlfriend which clouded Ryan's judgment and he basically became like unrecognizable. Like he was untethered in the moment and like wildly and passionately assaulting his father with like a complete blood rage, you know? So Sarah didn't want to, witness that of course so she ran upstairs in horror but she said like in her statement she said that she could hear her father pleading and begging for his life from downstairs while she was hiding upstairs oh
0: god
1: it was just so traumatizing uh so eventually the boys dragged him down to the basement where they spent the better part of an hour beating brian with a wrench a fire poker, like I think like a barbell maybe too, and their fists until the 45-year-old was dead.
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah. And that's like those 150 blows. I mean, that is rage.
0: Yeah, that's, that's insane. That's like teen rage.
1: <laughs> that is teen
0: rage and power,
1: teen power yep. right there. So Sarah concluded her statement saying that she wasn't sure what happened after the boys loaded up Brian's corpse and they all like left the house in separate cars. Faced with his sister's confession, Ryan eventually accepted a plea deal and he corroborated Sarah's statements and then he outlined what happened next. He said that after determining that his father was indeed dead, The three young men contorted his large body to fit into the trunk of his car, having to essentially, quote, fold him in half to make him fit. So crazy. So crazy. Colton and cousin Ryan returned to Mississippi after the brutal slaying. Ryan then arranged for Nicole, everybody's favorite girlfriend, and her roommate to come pick him up after he abandoned Brian's car and corpse in the farmer's field. Or just everybody's girlfriend. Everybody's girlfriend. (laughs) Nicole then drove while Jeffrey Hill, her roommate, and Ryan disposed of the murder weapons by throwing them off a bridge over the Elkhorn River, and those weapons would never be recovered. After that, Ryan forced Nicole and her roommate to help him clean up the gratuitously bloody crime scene, which that place must have
0: been a freaking mess. Yeah. With that many no blows. Wonder. And no wonder the cleanup was so horribly done. It was three teenage kids. It was three teenage Boys. kids. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's so it's it was the three teenagers who did the murdering and then they like tried to kind of clean it up um, and gave up. And the two 17 year olds went back to Mississippi. And then Ryan got Nicole and Jeffrey to come over. And Nicole's 19. And I think Jeffrey was 20 or 21 at this point. And he's having them try to clean it up. Yeah. And they spent hours trying to steam clean after like trying to bleach everything and eventually just panicked because the sun was starting to come up. Teresa was supposed to come home soon. And that was like the one thing she said was just like, leave me with a clean house. Yeah. And then they cut the carpet out. And then I really, I really do not know what they were thinking. I think that they were panicking and they could not clean up the crime scene And they figured maybe we'll, like, try to stage this to make it look like a break-in. But it defies, like, all reason. Like, why would Brian be in the home? Why would somebody have broken in at that point? They didn't take anything, you know?
0: Yeah. So
1: it was really stupid. The botched burglary only alerted the police to becoming aware that a crime happened in the home and connecting all of the family members to the murder. On,
0: like, a silver platter.
1: I know. I mean, this is probably one of the most ill-conceived murder plots we've ever covered. And we've covered some real dum-dums.
0: Yeah. This isn't looking good.
1: No. This is like the opposite of like Ocean's Eleven. (laughs) This is is Elkhorn's not top eight over here. In the end, all parties involved end up taking plea deals. So there was no trials for any of this. Everybody was like totally caught, of course. So they all took plea deals. And a whopping eight people are sent to prison for the murder of Brian Carson. Obviously, Ryan was. Um, Ryan took a plea and he was convicted of second degree murder. He received 60 to 80 years. He will be eligible for parole in 2039, but his projected release date is 2049. Whoa. He will be 60 years old oh, in 2049. No. That's his whole life. His yeah. whole life was spent in jail because he lost his temper. Ugh, oh, so fucked. It's it's just such a disaster all the way around. Teresa, the mother, was sentenced to 18 to 20 years in the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women for her role in the murder. Technically, she was charged with accessory to felony murder. She got a good attorney, which is JMD from the Tangled Web story. He represented yep. old Shanna Liz. Yep. He got screwed by Shanna Liz.
0: <laughs> Hopefully he got paid on this one.
1: I think I think he did. And she was released after nine years, getting out on December 30th, 2019. So she got out like the day before 2020 started well welcome to hell Teresa
0: (laughs) like I could have just stayed in prison this is
1: (laughs) this is totally fucked so her prison sentence just kept rolling uh, because then she had to just stay inside somewhere else
0: (laughs) oh my god
1: Yep. So both Colton Novascone and Ryan King, who were only 17 at the time of the murder, were given deals for 40 plus years for conspiracy oh to commit murder mm-hmm, and felonious assault. Colton will be eligible for parole on April 10th, 2033 which will put him in his early 40s. And Ryan will be eligible for parole in 2029, though his projected release date is in 2031, which would make him around 40. So their whole life too, for yeah. their cousin's vendetta. Jeffrey Hill, Nicole, Walk- Nicole Walker's roommate, received four to five years for accessory to murder. And he was released in January of 2012. So I think he ended up serving like two years. Okay. Okay. 16-year-old um, Sarah received a sealed juvenile sentence for a criminal conspiracy to commit murder, an accessory to a felony for her role in the murder, and she is now free. She was apparently pregnant at the time of her sentencing with a baby due in January of 2010. So ostensibly, that child is now 11 years old. The father was most likely Sarah's teenage boyfriend at the time, Josh Dornacker, who was also convicted of being an accessory to the murder and sentenced to three to five years in a juvenile facility. Oh, no. Uh Uh-huh. So both mom and dad were in jail at the time of the birth, I believe. Oh, my God. So he was released in less than three years in February of 2012. Okay, good. So I don't, I'm, I would be surprised if they're still together seeing as they were so young when they got together, but at least they're not in prison any longer. Speaking of babies, Nicole Walker delivered a healthy baby in October of 2009, which if you will recall, the murder happened in April of 2009, meaning that she was pregnant at the time of the slaying. No one, well, no one knew. No one, including Nicole, knew when this was getting investigated, whether she was pregnant with Ryan or Brian's baby. But later, a DNA test would prove that it was Ryan's, the son's, not the father's. So it was the murderer's son rather than the murdered's son. Also, can you imagine not knowing? No. That's like, that's either your brother or your son. Like the baby to Ryan. Isn't that crazy? Oh my
0: God.
1: Ugh. So cool, 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 cool. That's not at all weird. <laughs> Nicole ended up serving one year and three months of her four to five year sentence for accessory to murder. She made further headlines in 2012 when she was found to be pregnant once again, this time by a guard at the Nebraska Center for Women.
0: You have got to be kidding me. (laughs) No,
1: no. So technically she was actually out on parole at the time of the conception, but it is unclear when the relationship began because that's where she was housed for her, um, prison sentence.
0: Yeah. But at least, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying at least, but at least it, she <laughs> got pregnant after she was released, you know? Yeah,
1: exactly. So the couple claimed that they ran into each other at Walmart after her release and they struck up a romantic relationship then.
0: Walmart, the, the home for romantic relationships. Bar. It really
1: is. It's also is apparently a big center in Nebraska because it's where Shanna Liz went to get her wardrobe. Remember? And it's also love connection time over here. Um, So the guard was arrested as Nebraska state law prohibits corrections officers from having sex with parolees because offenders remain under the control of the prison system. So there's still an imbalance of power there. Of course. Yeah. Um, He pled down to one misdemeanor charge of prohibited acts of a corrections employee, and he was fined $250. Wow. Wow. Yep, as of July 18th, 2012, in this uh, newspaper article, the couple were still together and living with their infant daughter. What a mess. Mess.
0: And what about her a other mess. kids?
1: Um, I'm not really sure. I'm guessing that the, I don't know if the child was actually, I said boy, but I'm not sure if it was a boy or a girl. Um, I'm guessing that she regained custody of the child. Huh. Like Ryan's locked up and I don't know. Well, Teresa was locked up until this last year. Oh, yeah. So it was probably Nicole's parents took care of the baby for a while, you know?
0: Yeah. Jesus.
1: Yeah. So one man dead and eight people's lives ruined forever because of some family drama and an affair. I mean, honestly, they should have just gone on Jerry Springer and avoided the murder rap's maybe made a name for themselves, got a little of that reality television money. Oh God, whoa, that is crazy. Isn't that a crazy, so you see why I had to do it, even though I didn't have like a book on it. I was like, this is like the epitome of a love murder gone wrong. It's like the love we have for our family members, the love we have for our partners, there's an affair. And then an entire family joins forces to kill the like patriarch.
0: These people have too much time on their hands.
1: Oh my gosh. Yes. Also, like this just, it, it makes me feel really like good about the fact that like I I left for college. And I never moved back in with my parents ever. <laughs> like I was like, bye. You need a healthy separation when you're all adults, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, for sure.
1: <laughs> like my parents weren't like this at all. So like, I don't think we were ever... <laughs> at a worry of this happening, but geez, Louise. Jess, that's this week's episode. What do you guys think? If you liked this story, which is just slightly shorter than our usual ones, please let me know. Write us a review. We'll send you a code for some free stickers. And we have a really banger episode coming up next week with a Black Widow type lady. So come back for next week for a longer episode and uh, a bigger body count. In conclusion, don't don't
0: sleep with your kids' ex. Just don't do it. I also would like to note that you really should not sleep with your kids' ex. Yes, Ever. and matter any circumstances. <laughs> As always, don't sleep with your kids' ex. Let's just end on that one
1: because I just I'm, I'm I'm dumbfounded so that's it this week we just leave you on keep it in your pants when it's where your kid's been
0: signing off
1: signing off thanks for listening bye bye